welcome to yet another episode of the Renactors Corner podcast. Uh, in this episode, we will finally be talking about uh, the structure of the Wehrmacht, KSTNs, Waffenfarbe, and all of that organizational mumbo-jumbo, which may seem not useful for your impression at all, but which actually is like more or less the most essential thing you can have apart from your kit. everybody thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of the reenactors corner podcast this is chris here today again with lassa how are you doing today lassa i'm i mean i mean i've been to work so i'm tired but not exhausted so that's good so i guess i'm fine what about you i'm doing really good uh i have been working on doing some organizational tasks around the house today i'm pleased with how my area is looking my little um my studio here looks very nice right now. Yeah, you got your own studio, right? Yeah, I have a studio in my mansion, and uh, I moved some equipment around today, so it's looking a lot better. Uh, it's looking, you know, something suitable to this beautiful mansion in which I live. I'm excited about talking about this organization and structure stuff, which I hope will be helpful for some people in our audience. Yes, very much so. It's something I've looked forward to doing myself because it's something we do emphasize a lot on uh, in my own unit that people should know because it's it may sound boring and not relevant, but it is absolutely relevant. Well, every soldier knew this, and this was like something that was um, hyper-relevant to their day-to-day existence and to like everything that happened to them. Exactly. You know, we lose sight of that, I think, sometimes. Uh, as reenactors, you know, we don't have the same kind of organization that they had in the real Wehrmacht, right? We're not members of a real army. You know, you and I are members of a reenactment group that has, you know, less than 50 people total. So our kind of how you organize a, a reenactment group is different from how the Wehrmacht organized their millions of people. But you need to understand how those millions of people were organized in order to realistically portray even like a small unit. Also, this is like pretty crucial stuff for understanding and for like uh, unit specific research. Um, when you're trying to find information about any specific unit, understanding how that unit fit into kind of the bigger picture and then how you can apply that to your probably much smaller uh, reenactment group that you need to understand these these kind of basics in order to be able to interpret information that you find. So I guess, uh, well, look, let's just jump into it. Um, you know, Lassa, do you want to start off with kind of talking about the, the most basic, uh, you know, small building blocks of a unit, which I guess would be like a squad, right, or a gruppe, and then we can go from there on up? Yeah, the most basic form of building block would be a man. Sure, and it's one person. Like, yeah, the soldier, soldaten, die Lanza. The lonesome guy. Uh, he is organized into a squad, as you said, which is your Gruppe. We should say we're talking here about like 
an infantry unit, right? Because certain other types of units, they didn't really have the same unit structure, right? Like an artillery unit would have a different structure or an administrative unit obviously didn't yeah. have riflemen and squads. We're going to be talking today, focusing on um, infantry. But if you don't do an infantry impression, there are ways to find out how the unit type that you portray is organized. And we'll get into that a little bit later, how to get this information. Yeah, this is this is in very broad and general terms, uh, but it is, I mean, the fundaments of it is very similar. Even if you go into like artillery, as you say, where you would have like batteries and stuff like that, it's still a similar system to the general concept, although it is somewhat different. So in yeah, a lot broad of stuff, terms, a lot of the stuff will apply. Yeah. Uh, so as said, you have your soldier, a Schütze, or later in the war, a Grenadier, Panzer Grenadier, Cannoneer, lots of different names for the same for the same person. Basically, he is organized into a squad. This squad is usually consisted somewhere of like seven to twelve men. One squad is uh, part of a platoon. Now, a platoon in German is Zug, which uh, is basically usually around three squads. And three platoons consists a or makes up a company, or in German, Kompanie, which is like the very different German name for company. Now, if you go from company, uh, up to the next step, you are already getting into battalion-level stuff. A uh, squad up to a company is usually what you would consider the tactical level of stuff, uh, whereas here you're approaching the operational level of stuff with uh, battalions and up. Now, a battalion is usually, most of the times, uh, affixed to, for example, or affixed to a division, but they can also be independent battalions, such as, for example, the infamous uh, heavy tank battalions of uh, the German Wehrmacht, the Schwerpanzerabteilung. There were independent battalions where they would basically be set in where they were needed. Uh, other types of um, independent battalions can also be like heavy bridging battalions uh, and all of that, like specialized engineer units and stuff like that. Now, the next level would be regiments. And a regiment is, in simple terms, basically two or three battalions put together in one one cohesive unit, so to say. So instead of being three separate battalions, it's one regiment. And... The regiments is what would make up the main core of a division. So, say, a infantry division would have uh, usually two or three infantry regiments. From regiments and up, you have something called a brigade. Uh, this is something the German, uh, the, uh, German Wehrmacht uh, very seldomly used. Uh, Brigades is more common in the British or Russian militaries. Uh, a brigade is basically a very big regiment, which is sort of like a small division, uh, which, or yeah, like a small division which just has 
one regiment or two regiments and then a few other extra battalions. Now, the next step up from, um, well, from brigades or regiments would be your division, basically. What should you say? The, uh, a division is the uh, biggest unit that is maintaining itself in the German military. Uh, division is also the smallest part of a strategic map. And a division, as said, consists of like two or three regiments and then several smaller battalions. Uh, these battalions are your usually your reconnaissance, your uh, division uh, engineers, your anti-air, your artillery, and stuff like that. But as Chris was on earlier, a for example, an artillery division would have several artillery, uh, quote-unquote, regiments instead of just a artillery battalion, as you would see in, for example, uh, a infantry division. There were some... Uh... Uh, artillery regiments that were in uh, infantry divisions as well. Yeah, this is true. Now, there's there's a myriad of different uh, setups, but this is more in the broad terms of ways. And usually you don't really need to go further up from divisions, really. Um, and this was just a very quick uh, crash course. Now, if you go further, um, or if you go broader from this, you're looking at uh, the next level up from divisions would be core, um, uh, on a core level, where one core consists of usually four to five divisions, but a core is not uh, anything that would operate by itself. A core is basically just an administrative way to administrate four to five divisions, uh, and they will be made up as needed and abandoned as needed as well but a division will still exist and a division can be moved around different core depending on where the division is uh, is moved uh, the next level up from a core would be an army which is also just an administrative way of operating many divisions and an army usually consists of two or three core and then you're talking about uh, an army corps which consists of several armies and then you're starting to talk uh, like regional command uh, army groups and all of that yeah i think that's a pretty good overview of the different you know building blocks of the wehrmacht um you know i think if we if we kind of zoom zoom in a little bit from that and look at it from a reenactment perspective you know i think uh, i think reenactors need to understand like the company, you know, as as kind of what your impression really is of and should be. A company was, you know, a hundred plus guys, right, give or take, um, formed up generally of three platoons, Zuga, plus the like headquarters of the company, which was the Stabs. Um, and this is kind of like I don't know what I think most reenactment groups are kind of trying to be in a sense, you know, where, okay, they don't have the hundred plus guys. Most groups don't. Um, but they do maybe have people who are in various roles that would be appropriate on like a company type level. Um, you know, so 
and, and this is kind of reflected, I think, in historical realities in some way, where if you look at the Zoldbuch, for example, which was the identity document that every German soldier carried, it doesn't say what squad you're in in that book. It doesn't say what uh, Zug you were in, because these were kind of like temporary appointments, right? You could be switched around to a different Gruppe in your Zug. You could be switched around to a different Zug or a different position within your company. But that company... Um, that company level was kind of where that was your home. That was what was really recorded for you. That was where you were in the roster. That was where you were assigned your, you know, what we would call a roster number, right? A Stammroller number. Um, so, you know, I think when somebody says to you, I think when someone said to a, uh, a German soldier in the Wehrmacht, you know, what, what unit are you in? Someone who was maybe on a train with them or, um, you know, somebody that they encountered at a at a bar or something, right? I think it's likely that they would say, if if they were allowed to say, right, if they didn't have to keep it a secret for um, security purposes, I think they would say, well, I'm in such and such a company of such and such a regiment or something like that, you know? And yeah. there were also independent c- company in, right? Like you could have, for example, a... Um, Eisenbahn Pioneer Company that was not assigned to any other unit that might have been like a, you know, an army level unit, really, right? Um, yeah, like a very specialized unit. Yeah, that is just you don't need more than a company of men because it's a such a specialized uh, unit, so it is an independent thing. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's frustrating to me sometimes dealing with um, reenactors, working on paperwork for them, working on um, ID discs or what, helping them with whatever kind of project and saying, well, what, you know, what unit are you in? And then the answer comes back, well, I'm in the 6th SS. It's like that, the 6th SS or, you know, the 6th Infantry Division or whatever, if we're looking at these large division, I mean, that was so many different units, right? Because you had... You had your infantry regiment, you know, multiple different infantry regiments, usually within a unit like this or, or Gebirgsjäger regiments or whatever it is, right? And then you had um, medical unit and a signals unit and usually an artillery unit and an anti-tank unit and, you know, sometimes an anti-aircraft unit. And then you had like transport units. I mean, and, and, and right on down. Then to- you have the, uh, then you have the funny, uh, the uh, individual veterinary uh, companies as well. Yep, absolutely. The And, uh, you know, the, the veterinary and the ambulance company, you know, and um, kind of administrative specific groups. Uh, I mean, there was like, so many different subunits of a division that, you know, to say that, well, the unit that I'm in is such and such division, it doesn't give me any information. It's very, very rare to see, like, a division-level stamp on paperwork that would apply to any individual soldier. Division-level paperwork was, like, communication between the division and the regiment, you know, or between the division and the corps, Um and, and maybe you might have, for example, like if a soldier won a, an award, a, a special award, like, a, I don't know, an Iron Cross first class or something, maybe they got an award document that has the signature of the division's commander and is stamped by the division. But that's not really typical. That's not really, you know, it, it, it's only, it barely applies, 
in, in many ways. And I think something that people, a lot of people also fail to grasp is someone might say, well, uh, the unit that I'm in is uh, first company, first battalion, Grenadier Regiment 8, third Panzer Grenadier Division. And that's technically correct. But the, uh, a German soldier or the Wehrmacht in general would never express it that way because the, uh, the companies were always numbered sequentially and like assigned to the battalion that way. So like in a regular infantry uh, regiment, you had company, the first company was always in the first battalion or bataillon, right? Um, and then when you've got the uh, regimental designation, in this case, in my example, Grenadier Regiment 8, um, there is only one Grenadier Regiment 8 in the entire Wehrmacht. So to then add on what division it is, is totally, it's it's like not needed, right? It's almost uh, more information than you need because you've already said what regiment you're in. And so uh, that regiment, there is only that one regiment with that name in the entire Wehrmacht. So you don't have to go further and say what d division you're also in. Yeah, and this is backed up, I feel, look at like, uh, barrack photos and stuff people will have like a sign or a banner or something that just says like uh, Grenadier Regiment 8 but nothing else than that sure you won't you know you might find a, a sign or something that has a, a regiment um, depiction on it or a designation that also has like the divisional symbol on there or something. That was something that was used. But as far as, you know, a sign pointing to a division, I mean, a division was like thousands of people, right? Like a sign pointing a to a division, I guess it could be pointed to the divisional headquarters, you know, right? But, but it would say that, you know, a sign that points to a division is a, it, it doesn't, it's almost like having a sign pointing to a country, right? It's like, there's very few situations in which that's going to be uh, reasonable. And it's just like, so I've written um, sort of an article that uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for this. Um, it's about like unit structure and unit abbreviations for reenactors. And uh, it goes over a lot of the same material that we're talking about. But if in the event that you're confused by how we're trying to describe this, you could like check out that article and, um, you know, look, maybe it would help you to see kind of how I've written it down. But, you know, it's funny because, like, going back to the, you know, well, we're, we're the third, you know. Like, it, what unit are you in? Well, we're the third. The reality is, I think that probably if a Wehrmacht soldier said to somebody else, we're the third, it would be assumed that he was saying, we're the third company. You know, not the third division or something like that. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that people really generally talk that way but look you see a lot of unit photographs where it'll just say you know painted somewhere or it's written on there or on the photo somehow you know it'll say uh you know third third company and uh that was like a really important part of their identity and so if you are a reenactor and you're listening to this and you're like geez i don't know what company my reenactment unit is portraying like you should find out and maybe it's not Maybe it's not super important for like a research perspective, right? Maybe you haven't gotten to the level of research where you're looking at where a specific company in your the regiment that you portray was on a specific day, but you can get there. You might be able to get there eventually. And, and even if not, just knowing what company that you are portraying is, 
I think it's just really important. I think it's crucial. Yeah, I agree. It is also important to note that, like, um, as I said, a battalion is the smallest operational level um, unit, and that means that basically, like, a company can't hold anything of its own apart from, like, a city block or two, but a battalion can actually hold like a part of a city so that's what they use would will use or what they did use on operational level maps and that means that you would place a battalion in that area and therefore the battalion is in that area and you would not need signs for the battalion but rather for the individual companies sure right yeah going back to signs right like a sign to a company is like a, a useful thing you know, a valuable thing um, for the purposes of people trying to figure out where unit positions are, you know, especially um, like in a kind of a, a rear area type of a situation or a garrison type of a situation where there's not like a huge security risk from, you know, showing where the units are located, right? But it's like, it's hard because a lot, as I say, a lot of units kind of like try to take on this divisional identity when in reality you know it's it's the company that's really being portrayed the company will have you know roles like the company commander the company Hauptfeldwebel, who was the senior nco in a company um and it will have you know all of these kind of different roles where there will be the company clerks who work under the Hauptfeldwebel and their company paymaster you know and the company um you know, messengers or whatever, depending on how the specific unit was organized. And these are roles that I think a lot of reenactment events and reenactment units try to include, you know, on in one way or another. And, uh, and that's something I think that can be realistically done, whereas trying to portray like a divisional level staff, you know, it can become can become really hard unless that's like the whole focus of what you're trying to do, you know, um, because obviously, yeah, and- it, you know, the staff of a division is, is like huge. You know what I mean? It's like a company size, a Stubbs company. Yeah, exactly. A division would have its own company to run the division. And actually, uh, like the only concrete unit that consists of an army is actually a army stab battalion. Right. So you can have, even when we talk about a headquarters, right, that's almost a meaningless term because it can be a company, uh, you know, a uh, stabs of a company it can be a stabs company or even like a larger unit you know and um i mean this this is something that could almost be something for another podcast but like what were the different types of sort of headquarters you know the difference between a place where there is an officer who gives orders which would be like a befehlsteller or uh like a company gefechtstand which would be like the sort of headquarters in battle in the field for a company or like a regiment gefechtstand, you know, divisions gefechtstand, all of these things existed and each of them was kind of a little different and on a, on a little bit of a different scale as you go up. And it's actually kind of interesting how I can name many individual divisions of the Wehrmacht, but I can't really name more than two armies. This is kind of a difference between like how we approach history as reenactors versus how like a historian might um, approach history. Like a historian looking at um, 
I don't know, the Battle of Kursk, right? They might look at the actions of the various armies or army groups that were there, you know, that took place in, or Barbarossa, right, in this giant offensive. Whereas as reenactors, we're almost looking at like, okay, what was the experience like for the individual guy who was, you know, crossing over the border and taking part in this giant offensive? Um, so it's like looking at a very small part of it instead of looking at a big, bigger piece of it. Um, and, and I'm not saying that Look, obviously the big picture stuff is very important and I have a lot of admiration for people who, um, you know, have a really good command of these armies, you know, uh, in, in Europe, right, that are taking up all of this space and, you know, where they went and, and how the various commanders of the armies viewed their pardon or whatever. That's all very important stuff. But like you, I don't really know too much about that stuff. You know, what I have studied has been more on like an individual level up through like a, a company level for the most part and I have found that to be you know the most helpful in reenacting and I also part of the reason why I reenact is because that's the kind of the part of history that I'm interested in you know the history of the individual you know what was it like for them you know that to me is more interesting than like you know what the dispositions of various armies on the field on this giant section of the world that that was involved with World War II. Uh, for myself, I've never really been interested in like the strategic uh, parts of the war. Now, of course, I do know quite a bit of it, but like I said, I can name more than two armies. I guess we could switch gears a little bit and talk um, about the KSTN. You know what that is, why it's so important, why every reenactor needs to know it. Um, the KSTN is basically this concept. It stands for Kriegsstärkenachweis. And what it is, is it's kind of a layout of how a unit is supposed to be organized. And the Wehrmacht had this for basically every unit type or for units that didn't have a specific one. There were regulations that said which specific one they were supposed to use. They were numbered so they could keep track of the different ones. And they changed over the course of the war. Um, and each one of the numbered KSTN charts has a date. And, and basically, um, so kind of to give an example of what this will tell you, if you look at the KSTN for, for example, a grenadier company, it will tell you exactly how many men are supposed to be in a grenadier company, what the role of each of those men was, what weapon each man in the grenadier company was supposed to have, as well as um, what types of vehicles and other like heavy equipment and heavy weapons were supposed to be attached to this particular unit. So there's a lot of information there. And if you're trying and also what uh, rank group as well. Absolutely right. Like right, who would be an officer? Who would be you know an NCO? Who would be an enlisted man? Um, so if you're trying to do a unit impression, or if you're an event organizer and you're trying to get the people that come to your event to portray a specific unit or unit type, right? You really need to know, okay, what's a realistic ratio? You know, how many of these people would have been officers versus how many of these people would have been enlisted men? Um, you know, what weapons are people in specific roles supposed to be having? Um, you know, what were the different roles in this specific unit? And the KSTN has all of that information and it's super helpful, you know, in that way. Um, it's like it's made for reenactors. 
in a way, it's like, yeah, it's a layout of like, okay, this is what we're supposed to be portraying. Are you portraying a squad? Because the KSTN for the unit type that you're portraying will tell you how many men are supposed to be in that squad, what their ranks are supposed to be, what the roles were, what the weapons were. And if you're portraying a tsuk, it will tell you that. If you're portraying a company or, you know, some part of a company, it will tell you that as well. And even if you're just like doing almost like a, like a really small impression where if you were portraying a uh, an officer on with some kind of vehicle or something I don't know this thing would tell you okay well it turns out that nobody of this particular rank should really be driving this particular vehicle you know but I could do these specific roles and it would be technically correct so um, you know you kind of get a sense of what's realistic how should things be and when you're planning an impression it can tell you what your options are so it's it's just this really great resource that everybody really should know for their for the unit that they portray. Amen. It's not always super easy to find this thing. Um, so I'm going to include some, uh, some links in the show notes. Um, there's a website called worldwar2daybyday.com that lists a ton of different KSTN. So if, um, if people don't, uh, even if you can't find the exact KSTN that really is perfect for you, you can probably find a KSTN that you can use kind of as a starting point, um, you know, until you do get the exact right one. There's also a website called Sturmpanzer.com that has a lot of different KSTN on there. I think some of them are for sale for like 2 or $3 or something, which is really a cheap price for information that you need, right? Um and then I guess kind of the next level is knowing that in the National Archives of the United States, there are microfilm rolls that contain hundreds of these KSTN for different unit types. And these microfilm rolls have been digitized and are available for free online. Most of the people who uh, use these resources are like real historians. So um, you could go to a forum where historians are, are chatting about study of history, like uh, Access History Forum would be one that I would recommend for people. And you can ask on there, hey, I'm looking for a KSTN for this very specific unit type. And I haven't been able to find it on these these websites. And somebody will probably be able to put their finger on it for you and get it for you. Um, I found... Uh, a KSTN for a Landeschutz and company that way before I knew how to navigate this National Archives microfilm rolls. Um, I just posted an access history forum and the guy who runs the World War II day-by-day website actually saw that and responded to me and put it on his website as well for in case other people were interested. So, you know, sometimes just expressing an interest in it can make stuff appear, right, uh, on these various sources. So, um those are some some tips, I guess, for how to try to find this for your your unit type. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, whenever I dis- discuss KSTNs with uh, other reenactors, I sometimes get the the feedback that they don't matter because the German army was struggling and they never had enough manpower, and the KSTNs would be thrown out the door. I don't think that's I don't think that's true. You know, I understand that. Um, they didn't have enough manpower. I understand that they couldn't fill all the roles necessarily, but, uh, you know, it's not like if you, I don't know, lost a bunch of the infantry guys in your company, right? If you lost a lot of the enlisted men that the, the 
I don't know, squad leaders would just like continue somehow on their own. I mean, you need to understand how this stuff is supposed to be. Um, and that will give you kind of some clues to what are reasonable ways that the Wehrmacht adapted when they didn't have enough men and they didn't have enough equipment to fill all those roles. Yeah. And as you were talking about, the, the KSTN sort of tells you what a unit, what a specific unit can uh, take out in terms of manpower and material, um, and it usually can take out more than that. And KSTNs, I've found, uh, whenever I see like weird combinations on photos of like weird, um, weird mix of vehicles and stuff, it's usually very often backed up by a KSTN that shows that this combination was in that specific unit. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's unbelievable sometimes how specific these KSTN are, you know, and, and the KSTN themselves do reflect like local conditions and local needs and the need to adapt and change depending on where a unit is. Like, for example, you know, speaking of the Landeschutzen example that I gave, it turns out there's a different KSTN for a Landeschutzen unit that is based in Germany versus a Landeschutzen unit that is based in occupation duty in the West or uh, occupation duty in the East has its own separate KSTN that is equipped differently. And so, you know, they, they definitely were aware that they had to kind of ch- make adapt and adaptions and change things. And they did that. Um, and you can, you can see that, you know, reflected in that stuff. Um, I think it's, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, I've gone down this whole rabbit hole because I, the unit that I am in charge of, we portray a uh, company of a Sicherungs regiment, and it's like can be really complicated sometimes with the KSTN for a Sicherungs unit um, because there was like a bunch of name changes, and they they kept the old KSTN, but they changed the name, and then later they decided to go to like a different KSTN. It's a long story that's super uh, technical and boring, but you know, look. I, I like this stuff, and I think it's important for for reenactment to kind of understand this stuff. And so, you know, um, look, I know it's it, it's kind of hard, I think, a little bit in the podcast format to explain this. I think it's a little easier, you know, if you can kind of look at an example. Um, so I did write an article um, that is posted on our website about... Um, Wehrmacht unit structure, assigned weapons and vehicles, according to the KSTN. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, another thing I think that we should talk about is like how unit organization affects the insignia that you wear on your uniform, which is a question that comes up so often on Facebook um, or other places where reenactors chat, where people will say, okay, well, what... um, you know, what kind of, uh, what color of Waffenfarbe should be worn by this infantry division? And it's like, the answer to what Waffenfarbe was worn by an infantry division is white, red, black, yellow, pink, you know, and, and, and blue, and all of these other colors, because... All the colors of the rainbow. All the colors of the rainbow. You know, liter- practically all the colors of the rainbow. You know, where if you think there's there's purple in there, there's like everything in there. And... The reason for that, of course, is because your Waffenfarbe is not determined. Waffenfarbe being the, the branch piping color on your insignia. Um, it's not determined by 
what division you were in. It's determined basically by what uh, like regiment or battery or abteilung, um, you know, a subunit of the division. Um, and that's what determines that. That's what unit you're really in. Or not specifically, but like in general terms, uh, the regiment or battalion is is what determines the color. You know, it, it's really kind of weird sometimes to me to sometimes see, well, uh, a reenactor will say, well, uh, I did some photo research and I couldn't find any photographs of uh, people in this division who were issued a certain type of a hat. You know, and it's like, here's the five photos I found. And it's like, it's like, hey, there were thousands of people in this division, you know. And um, I don't know. It's just like it's it can become so hard to make blanket statements that will apply to an entire division like that, you know, because there's like a division can be spread across like a tremendous area and have um, components that are in Germany and at the front line at the same time, even in some cases. And it's just like trying to do um, very specific type research, like what kind of hat that they had, and then looking at, okay, well, what division was this? It's really, I think, it's really hard. Um, and it, it would be better if you could find photographs that could be linked to a specific company that you're trying to portray, of course, that's not that's not always easy either, right? Because uh, a lot of times it can be really hard to find attributed photos for any specific company, or or to find wartime photos when film became scarce is like especially hard. Um, but like looking at stuff from a divisional aspect, it kind of has pros and cons. You know, there was a unit that I was in in the past that portrayed like a Panzer Grenadier division and so we had um we were trying to portray like a Zug from a grenadier regiment of that division but we also had some other things that didn't really fit into a, a Zug of a grenadier regiment like we had two um pack anti-tank cannons that probably would have been in maybe maybe in the 14th company of a grenadier regiment or like maybe in like the uh Panzerjäger Abteilung um, and we had, you know, we were getting like a, a vehicle, a tracked vehicle that maybe would have been more appropriate for the Panzerjäger Abteilung or even the, the Panzerabteilung maybe. But so I, I can see that there is an appeal to kind of looking at things on a divisional level because it opens up really like what you can portray. But, um, you know, that, that really didn't change the fact that our core portrayal was a a Tsuk in the Grenadier Regiment, you know, and that most of the time at events, like that was what we were trying to portray, like three squads, three trucks, three squad leaders, three machine guns. Um, and I think, you know, a part of me thinks that was like maybe our, when we were at our best, honestly. You guys have kind of a divisional level approach, right, where you portray different aspects of the same division at different times? Yeah. That's that's what we try to at least. That's cool. We mainly focus on the Panzergrenadier and the uh, Panzeraufklärung Abteilung, which would be a battalion. Yeah, I think I think sometimes where some units get into trouble is where they're trying to portray different parts of a division at the same time. You know, where it's like, okay, oh yeah, that's that that doesn't work. As as I talked about earlier, uh, a battalion would be placed in that area and 
not often mixed with the other ones. I will say there are some like maybe some exceptions to this, right? Where you might have personnel from a sanitate sub Tylung who are attached to an infantry company for some specific purpose, or maybe like some people from the pioneer of Tylung, you know, the engineers are attached to an infantry unit for something. But um, I, I don't really like, I don't know. I, I don't even really want to get into that too much because uh, I would just encourage people to maybe like try to do, do some research about that. If that's something that they're trying to incorporate into an impression. Um, I think there are ways <laughs> that you can do it right, but I think there are also definitely ways where you can do it wrong, where you have a squad that is uh, eight um, infantry guys and then one blue piped medical guy and one black piped pioneer guy and one pink piped anti-tank guy with a Panzerfaust. Like that's not how, that's not ever really how it was. Yeah. Like in simple terms, if you are in an infantry regiment, you wear a white Waffenfarbe for that infantry regiment, regardless if your job is driving trucks or doing surgery or attending horses or being an infantry that's a great point. Um, yeah, you could have, for example, a Nachrichtenzug of an infantry regiment where you have an entire Zug and every single person in that their job is to do stuff to do with signals and radios and communication. And that's the only thing that they do. But and they're not infantrymen at all. Right. But because they are in an infantry regiment, um, because they're in the Nachrichtenzug of an infantry regiment, they don't wear the yellow Nachrichtenwaffenfarbe. They wear the white infantry Waffenfarbe. Exactly. Um, you know, and there's there's many examples like this. There are people who were, um, you know, engineers who wore white piping. Uh, there were people who were anti-tank gun crews of, you know, a heavy weapons um, company within an infantry regiment. They wore white um you know so uh that i th i think that's something that where reenactors sometimes can get really kind of work uh kind of bark up the wrong tree as we say um with that stuff yeah it doesn't seems like uh some reenactors want to like have the color of the job they're portraying when waffenfarbe isn't about uh your job basically that's exactly right. It was it was a unit identifier. It, you know, it went back to before the war when they had um, even the numbers on the shoulder board buttons and stuff. You could look at somebody's insignia and figure out exactly what unit they were in. You know, and uh, there was like vestiges of that that continued on through 1945. But it was never to show what someone's job was or what their training was or anything like that. That was not the the idea behind that at all. Again, I just think that. Um, people spend a lot of time wondering about what kind of boots and what kind of helmet color, helmet decal, and what kind of shirt and stuff. And it's like, um, you know, I, I, I'll tell you, honestly, I reenacted for, I don't know, maybe two years before I was able to tell you how unit abbreviations worked in the Wehrmacht or what the difference between a Zug and a company was, you know, the truth is I didn't know. And I didn't know how much that was negatively affecting my like realism and reenacting because um, there's so much knowledge that comes with understanding how all of this stuff puts together. And if you can't understand it, you know, you're missing out.
Exactly, and that's why we do focus a lot of that in my reenactment unit, that you should know like that a company consists of several platoons, and that is because it may sound stupid and not relevant, but it is absolutely so, so relevant for your impression. Totally. And, and plus, you know, obviously historical research is an important part of this, and if you can't look at uh, unit designations and unit uh, abbreviations for these designations and know if this is something that per- pertains to your unit or not, I mean, you're, you're dead, right? You're not going to be able to, to glean information that, that maybe is really important. I remember uh, I had been reenacting for like a couple of years, and we were portraying uh, 3rd Panzer Grenadier Division, right? And somebody came over and said, hey, I have a sold book, an original sold book from that specific unit. And he pulled out this sold book, and I looked at the unit page, and it said, three period slash Panzer Grenadier Regiment 8 or something like that, right? Someone's looking at me and being like, what does that say? And I was like, I guess it says 3rd Panzer Grenadier Division Regiment 8. But of course, it didn't say that at all because that three period slash, that means that's an abbreviation that means third company. And what I was looking at was something that said something like third company Panzer Grenadier Regiment 8, right? Not third Panzer Grenadier Division Regiment 8, but third company Panzer Grenadier Division Regiment 8. But unless you can read those, you know, and I was super embarrassed because I was like, yeah, I think it is. And someone who knew, you know, more than me, someone who taught me a lot of stuff about this stuff came over and he's like, you, you should know better than that. You can't read that. You know, like, what, how can you not read that? And I'm like, geez, I guess I don't know. I guess I can't read this stuff. And, I'll, and I, you know, that was a motivator for me to <laughs> yeah. learn this stuff, which is really not hard. Like I say, I wrote this article about it. You can check out the article. If you have any questions, you can ask me or Lassa, you know, find us on Facebook or Soldat Inform or whatever, um, anytime. And, you know, we're happy to help and, you know, it can be, I have a lot of these uh, KSTN as well. So if you are, have already done the research and you're having a hard time with a specific KSTN, you can let me know and I'll, I will try to help you with it because um, I really do think that it's like so important to know, you know? All right. What do you think? Should we launch into some questions from the audience? We can do that. We did ask uh, for any questions you, the listeners may have with it is on Facebook and Instagram. Somebody asked the following question. Given that the average basic infantry unit was designed to operate around an MG, what kind of scenarios can MG poor units utilize? And that's, I think, a really good question because, um, you know, look, the basic premise of that question is totally correct in that um, in an infantry unit, the infantry squad, the squad weapon was the machine gun. And if you are going to portray an infantry squad, you need to have a machine gun, not a machine pistol, right? Not an MP40, but something like an MG34 or an MG42, those being the most uh, common by far um, in infantry units in World War II. And if you don't have something like that, then can you portray an infantry squad? I mean, I think the reality is is that um, you can't really portray an infantry squad like correctly without a machine gun because the, the machine gun was so... Uh, basic and fundamental to a squad and if a squad lost its machine gun those guys probably would be assigned to some other squad that did have a machine gun um or you know if they couldn't get get a new one right so um so i guess the 
the real crux of this question here is like, what kind of scenarios can MG poor units utilize? Um, and that's kind of a big question. I think that um, one one idea is just to get like a deactivated or a dummy or even like an airsoft machine gun um, just to be able to have something that you can use to stand in for for a functional machine gun. You know, other than that, you're looking at portraying something that's not an infantry squad, you know, and, and that can be a lot, a lot of different unit types, um, you know, depending on what you're interested in doing. But, um, you know, within it, basically the infantry squad level portrayal, the machine gun is just like super important. What, what do you think, Lassa? Well, living in Europe, uh, functional machine guns aren't really that common to come by. So, I mean, the workaround here is basically having one that doesn't shoot and just build the impression around that, which isn't wrong in my eyes because tacticals aren't really as common here as in the U.S., I would suppose. Yeah, that's a good point. It really depends on what kind of... uh units you want to do or what kind of events you want to do and um you know if you're doing display events or immersion events or stuff where you don't have to actually fire a blank round a deactivated or dummy or even an airsoft machine gun would be totally perfect as like a prop you know something to build an impression around exactly nothing is like lugging around 10 kilograms of metal that doesn't even do anything I know that feeling very but well. That's the hobby, I guess. That is the hobby. Well, the whole thing is nonsense. <laughs> um, exactly. It's all make-believe. And I guess if you were doing a tactical, if you were, you know, depending on how many people, you'd have to look at, okay, how many people do we have that are going? Um, are we going to have enough people? Is it going to be possible at this event for us to act, if it's a tactical, as like a independent group? I mean, if you're at a tactical where it's possible for you and your two friends who are going to act as an independent group, maybe you're like a vehicle crew where the vehicle broke down or got knocked out or whatever. And it's like you just had to abandon the vehicle um, with the weapons that you have and, and try to make it to the front line or you got pushed, you know, rolled into some other kind of unit or whatever it is. I mean, it's just a matter of, I think, some using some creativity and trying to come up with a backstory or a justification that is plausible for the specific tactical event that you're participating in. Exactly. And if you look at AKSTN, you will find like many uh, smaller uh, specialized squads that doesn't have the MG, but has like rivals and maybe a machine pistol too. For example, like, um, like transportation uh, squads where you basically have several truck drivers, for example, as Chris was talking about. Right, and you would have, in theory, a, a truck, right? But if the truck broke down or whatever, and those guys were, they were out there and they had to do what they had to do with what they had, you know? Or um, messengers, right? Melder. I mean, there's a lot of different um, possible roles. You could even be like the company toss, the staff of the, you know, the re- kind of rear administrative segment of the company that you know in a desperate situation maybe there's been a breakthrough um but they have to defend the tross or whatever and so they would go into action with you know what what they had which usually wouldn't be it wouldn't be the same as a regular infantry squad's armaments or even portraying the tross 
Portraying the tribes is awesome. Riflemen. Yeah. Uh, I I have a soft spot in my heart for like tross related portrayals because you know the field kitchen uh maybe is there and i do like that um and the schreibstube is there and i like doing that stuff too so there's a lot of stuff there that appeals to me uh, personally the food i like the food a lot and i also like sitting down so those are things that you can do (laughs) it does appeal a lot there was a guy in that I used to reenact with who came up with an idea for a reenactment event that I really loved, which was, um, and I don't have his resources, so like, don't quote me on this, uh, but what he found out was that there were times when a part of a, a company, maybe a Tsuk or even just a squad, would kind of rotate off of the line to the truss for basically like rest you know and they would be in reserve um they would be away from the immediate danger of the direct fighting because the the truss was a little bit in the rear and and he had found some i don't know if it was some memoirs or, or letters or something that discussed um basically okay our our little group got sent back to the truss for a couple of days to get some rest and he had an idea of doing a like resting at the truss weekend impression you know where it would be like okay there's uh the field kitchen here and you know we can eat directly from that and you know maybe there's some some paperwork to do or just hang out you know camp life um tasks that a frontline soldier might do you know near the front but when he's kind of off of it in reserve i kind of thought that was an interesting idea for a, a reenactment event like an immersion thing yeah, we've been thinking about the same uh, thing ourselves, actually, but we haven't done it. There's a great Wehrmacht training film that uh, depicts um, the defense of a truss, and um, I think it's really interesting. It's like it takes place on the uh, Russian front, and the the defenders are using like Soviet uh, DP machine guns. I think because they don't have the regular type of armaments that the you know that a regular infantry zug probably would have it's it's a cool i think people could probably find it on youtube um but it's a cool film all right so another question that someone else asked that i think is a good question that we kind of addressed but maybe we could kind of go over it again was uh he said i would like to know how different units fit within an infantry division how does say a pioneer battalion fit into it um and I think that's a good question. So a little bit of background on this. Like I translated a, uh, a divisional history book um, for the unit that I, that I used to be in. And um, that book, which was the history of one specific German infantry division, gave a really good kind of overview about how the different types of the different subunits kind of would work together where it would say, okay, the... Americans uh, attacked at this particular place. As a result, um, you know, one of the grenadier regiments was pulled back. Another grenadier regiment was pushed forward in reinforcement. The artillery regiment um, took up different positions, and the Panzer Abteilung was called in to try to stem this attack. And you're kind of looking at a picture of okay, this is a divisional command. 
that's using these very different separate pieces on the battlefield and kind of arraying them, you know, organizing them and, and deploying them as part of like a unified sort of a, a strategy in response to like local conditions. And that that's kind of my understanding of how these different units worked. They were all separate, but they were underneath a divisional command, so they were assets that a divisional commander could use um, you know, in, in battle on the battlefield. Um, and of course, there's uh, parts of the division that always had to be support for other parts of the division, you know, so the transport unit would be supporting the frontline parts, you know, the medical units obviously were tasked with, you know, dealing with sick and wounded people from the other divisional elements. Um, you know, it was, it was basically like that. It wasn't like these groups were totally integrated with each other. It wasn't like, um, you know, Atsuk would go into combat with one squad of infantry and one squad of artillery and one squad of anti-tank. It, w- it wasn't like that. It was like these were separate assets that could be used um, as needed, you know. What's, what's your feeling on this? How, how would you answer that question, Lassa? I think you covered it really good, actually. Um, oh, I said a... Uh, now... Uh, the uh, specific question is an infantry division. So let's say you have uh, two infantry regiments um, and maybe an artillery regiment, and this would be topped off with um, like your uh, your anti-air, um, or would that be more panzer? But like you would have several different uh, battalions where one would be your reconnaissance battalion, for example, and one of those battalions would be the pioneer battalion, which is more like the smaller uh, specialized unit within the division to do that those specific tasks it is made to do. A pioneer battalion would, for example, do uh, road construction, bridge construction, um, explosive stuff, and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, like building uh, bunkers, you know, that that kind of thing for sure. Yeah, and winter uh, hideouts, places to sleep, etc. Right. There. I mean, I guess speaking specifically to like pioneer units. I mean, there was such an incredible variety of different pioneer units. There was like Festung pioneer units that built fortresses, and there were Eisenbahn pioneer units that built um, railroads, and there were you know, bridge construction units. And I think there was also a Pioneer Zug. Um, and I, I don't know, I'd have, I'd have to kind of look at some references, but I think that the Pioneer Zug, maybe it was an early war thing that was attached to directly to an infantry regiment um, as kind of an independent Zug of Pioneer that were at like a regimental level. And th- those guys would have worn the white. This was also late war too. Okay, good. Yeah, it's, I... Um, it's not specifically my like expertise, so um, I might be flubbing some some little aspect of it here. But uh, but yeah, yeah, I've seen in uh, several places you would have a separate company uh, within a battalion that is just for reconnaissance and pioneers, which is a weird mix. That's cool. Yeah, um, you know, like uh, there could be different companies right within like an infantry regiment that would have certain tasks like the uh 
I think oftentimes like the 13th company was the anti-tank company and the 14th company was uh, the heavy weapons company that might have like an infantry gun or infantry guns. Um, but again, I think, you know, looking at K the KSTN for the different unit types is going to be probably more information than you're going to get out of than listening to this podcast. You know, if there's if there's anything that I could convey to people in this podcast episode, it would just be like, okay, understand the Grupa, Zug, Company, Bataillon, Regiment progression um, of units as they scale up, and then to to understand that you know you need to have you need to have a, a foundation in the KSTN or the unit type that you're portraying in order to portray it correctly. You know, those are I guess the two big points that I would like to make. Yeah, no, I I can't really word that better myself. So yeah, and even I mean, ultimately, even if you're just doing an in, totally individual impression, um, you know, if you're going to be like, okay, I am portraying a rifleman, I'm portraying a squad leader, I'm portraying a machine gunner, the KSTN will tell you what rank group that is supposed to be in and what weapon specifically is supposed to be carried for the specific unit type so even if you're not even in a reenactment group if you're just reenacting by yourself or putting together an impression to take a picture on instagram you know referring to the kstn is like i think just super helpful like kstn is it's the uh it's it's like the number one paper paperwork thing you need sure okay so i, I think we've covered that pretty well um, we've got some episodes coming up that I think maybe we've already recorded, uh, and I guess the audience will, will find out about that stuff when it comes out. If you guys have ideas for stuff you want us to talk about on the podcast, like, let us know. Uh, we're always looking for your input and suggestions. Also, uh, don't forget we do have a Patreon, so, um, if you want to support the podcast and help us get better microphones and stuff so that we sound better... Uh, you can you can donate money that way, and um, you also get to hear our like monthly Patreon exclusive podcast that we do too, which has all the juicy drama bits. Yeah, that's where uh, you find out if we like you or not because we talk about people specifically like that on there. <laughs> this is false advertisement. Sure, I know people will be so disappointed. No, the uh, usually the monthly we Lass and I have kind of settled on a thing for the monthly Patreon exclusive podcast where we basically just like kind of talk about um, reenactment projects that we have going on and just kind of chat, um, you know, about kind of current events uh, with with hobby stuff. So I think they're fun. I I am going to a reenactment this weekend that I'm really excited about in Massachusetts, um, an Eastern Front tactical. So. Maybe uh, the next time we chat, I'll have be able to give like a rundown about how that event went. Tell some stories from that. That's awesome. I can't wait to hear more about it. Very cool. All right, Lassa. Um, do you have any final thoughts that you wanted to add before we close this one out? KSTN, do not underestimate it. Lassa, I hope you have a great night. And uh, to everybody out there, I'll see you in the field. Bye, guys. <laughs> I'll see you in the field. Thanks again to Mike a.k.a. Retroman, for editing this podcast.